Welcome to Spin It, where the worst of times can become the best of times. I'm your host, Stephanie Malik, an award-winning crisis management expert and business consulting strategist. Along with my team of experts at S. Malik Enterprises, I have worked with thousands of high-wealth individuals and businesses over the last 25 years to create customized approaches for crisis management and business consulting to ensure they take their careers, relationships, and companies to the next level. On Spin It, we pursue purpose and passion, aspiring to uncover the true story behind every guest's successes and failures, removing the mistake behind what it takes to be truly successful from those that have actually done it. I'm chatting with executives and entrepreneurs all over the globe to understand how they turned obstacles into opportunities to grow not only themselves, but their businesses. I want to impact and inspire you and as many people as possible, not by blurting out the same old motivational phrases, but with the truth and authenticity behind real success, along with the roadmaps and methodologies it takes to get there. Whether it was a scandal, a broken business model, or simply navigating the noise, we want you to learn from our mistakes. It's all in how you spin it. Today, I'll be chatting with talk show host at the Who You Know Job Networking Show and a financial services professional, Trevor Houston. In his teenage years, Trevor was known as a troublemaker that eventually was forced to move in with his father. He lost his job selling motorcycles at Harley-Davidson and had a month-long stint without work where he fell into a dark place. After finding a new job in the automotive industry and becoming a top producer, he discovered a new perspective about his ability to work that would change his life's trajectory. Hey, Trevor, thank you so much for joining and welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Good to be here. Thank you so much. So I am so fascinated by the ADHD story. My questions are probably going to be a little different than the ones that you've heard, but I want to go through just the story of ADHD and kind of when you when you found out that you had it, how were you diagnosed, how did this create you know issues for you and your family? Um, just walk me through kind of how that started. Yeah, so... You know, when my parents split up, I stayed with my mom and uh, my dad, you know, moved out and everything like that. And and um, so I started to become a little bit like rebellious and things. I, you know, things were just kind of chaotic at the house. And uh, so they were like trying to figure out what was wrong with me. You know, I was just I had so much energy and I was taking all that energy and putting it in a negative place. How old were you? Um, at the time I got diagnosed, I was probably like eight or nine. I would say I was probably like eight or nine. And I was like, I was becoming violent. You know, I was fighting a lot. You know, I, I, I didn't respect authority at school, you know, teachers and all that. Like I would, I ran away from school, you know, um, Things were things were pretty rough at the house where I was growing up with my mom. Did you have siblings? Uh, or do yeah, you have, have siblings? I have two older brothers, so I'm the youngest. My oldest brother went to go live with my dad, and then my middle brother he he was with me and my mom, and we had a lot of like a lot of things going on at the house. We my mom was disabled, so she couldn't work. And so in order to, you know, pay the bills and things like that, we were on all the government programs and, you know, food stamps, welfare, disability, any government program pretty much you can think of. And then on top of that, we had to have roommates. And so our roommates were delinquent type folks, all kinds of people, every ethnicity, every background, every everything. And so these were the male role models in my house that were breaking, you know, breaking the law and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And so I started running with these folks. These were like my role models. I'm like looking up to these people like and uh, and so, yeah, I was getting in trouble and I was doing stupid stuff and I was putting my energy in a negative place. And they put me in this uh, this class, like a special ed class. So I rode the short bus and everything. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I rode the short that, bus. So, so let's see, eight or nine, that's second and third grade. So what possibly could you have been doing that was so much trouble in second and third grade? And I, and I find this fascinating, again, having four kids, having the youngest being 11, what is big trouble for you? Like, tell me what this is. 
Well, again, I was uh, I was very violent and stuff like that, and it w- I started getting in most of the trouble when I was you know eight or nine years old. It wasn't a lot of trouble at that point yet. It wasn't until I got probably like 11, 10, 11 that I started getting in trouble. I was smoking cigarettes. I was smoking weed. I was drinking. I was fighting. I was stealing, breaking into cars, getting arrested for all kinds of stuff. Um, I, I, I By the time I was 13, I, I was a felon um, at 13. I was in, in juvenile in and out of juvie, and it, things were really bad growing up. And I actually look at it as almost a blessing because all of that is on my juvenile. And so it doesn't follow me for the rest of my life, which I'm so grateful for that. So I got, a, I got all that craziness out of my system. And, and what I really needed was I needed discipline. I needed structure. I needed a father, right? And I was actually, I'm so grateful that uh, I was forced to move to my my father's. And so I did. And I moved over there. I was forced to at, at like 16. And my dad got a hold of me. And, and it didn't, things didn't fly the same way they did at my mom's. Like at my mom's, I was doing whatever I wanted to. And over here, I didn't, I didn't get to do whatever I wanted to. And Thank God for that, right? Right, right. Thank <laughs> God needed, for Dad. <laughs> yes, I needed structure. I needed discipline. He helped me to get off of probation because there was all the restitution and money that I owed and all this different things and community service and all the stuff I had to do to get out of that hole that I was in. I was in a hole. So got off of that. and But yeah, I needed a positive place to put my energy. My dad was a a business owner, an entrepreneur. He owns his own business. He taught me how to work, save, and uh, be a positive contributing member to society instead of a destructive one. And I also carried a lot of victim mentality with me. I, 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 I was... Ugh, victim mentality was all over me. I was like, everything's everyone else's fault. It's not my fault. They did this. They did that. This is da 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 da. That's the. That was my. That was who I was. Like, I think back and I'm like, what a fool. <laughs> so when you were going through this b- before you got to your dad's, were you taking? So tell me about the 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 therapies, or tell me. I know sometimes that there's you know there's medication as a first line, or 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 therapy or counseling or something as a first line. Did anybody suggest this for you? Did you go on a medication? What did the medication feel like for you? Yeah. So. They um, tried putting me on medication, and I think I took it a little bit, if I remember. I took it, and then I was like, no, I'm not taking this, and I was rebellious against it, too. I would hide it under my tongue and then spit it out, and, you know, I I just, I would make them feel like I'm taking it, but I wouldn't take it, and then they would take me to, like— like school counseling therapist, whatever. I remember going in and this lady was feeding me these little peach candies and stuff and like trying to be my friend so that I would talk to her because I wasn't, again, I was so, like anybody that's a school adult's authority, I was like, no. And then here they're trying to, you know, put me in a room and talk to me about my feelings and stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, no. No. Uh, you know, and, and you're like that is not happening today, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I remember I got was it Child Protective Services came to the school at one point. They were they picked me up at school, brought me. You know, they they got me. They came and got me, and I was like fighting them. I'm like, I'm not going with you. You crazy? You do? Oh, you know, like I remember they picked me out of school. So this entire show. And, and the whole reason why I started this was because there's so many people in the world that are so influential and they're influential, but people don't know their backstory. People don't know where they actually came from. So the whole show is derived from obstacles into opportunities, or some people say, you know, op- obstacles into blessings. This is our first, kind of our first segment, if you will. And so much before you were even 13 years old, like so much before you were 13. So I want to chat about whenever you're, so you you were angry and you didn't have any authority that was a true authority, somebody that you loved, cared about, respected, et cetera. You were running in the streets, you were acting wild, okay? Where do you think it was coming from? Other than the obvious of the, the, the breakup of your parents, 
were you hurting? Were you were you lacking self-confidence? Were you bullied? Like where did this strife and anger come from? You know, I, I think a lot of it had to do with the people that I was living with, right? I mean, I had, like I said, every background, ethnicity, everything was, and it was all like, uh, okay, so these are stereotypes, and I don't mean to get political or whatever, get stereotypes and all that stuff. We live in a crazy culture right now. But what I'm saying is, is I had like gothic people, okay? Uh, Like, you know, when you think of someone that's gothic, you think of like all black, fingernail polish, makeup, Marilyn Manson looking like, you know, just kind of listening to all the crazy music and stuff like that. So I had those types of people. I had thug life in the house. Uh, We we had a gay couple living in the house. We had just every, and actually I'm going to say, what a blessing that is, too, at the same time. I don't want to sit here and just say a lot of this is so negative and this and that. No, I am adaptable because of that. I am able to communicate on all levels with all types of people. What I found out by living with all these different types of people throughout my life was that we're all flawed, all of us. I don't care what background, ethnicity, whatever you are, it doesn't matter. We're all we're all sinners and we're all messed up and we need help and we need, we need God. And, but it it made me empathize for people. It anchors you later in life whenever you build that resilience when you're younger, but it's not a blessing or a favor at the time because you're so right. And not only that, but just the hormonal impact, puberty, you know, the loss of your parents' kind of family unit, everything that was happening together is out the door. And then all of a sudden you have a bunch of examples. And I don't know if you've ever heard me say this before, Trevor, but like you you use your examples in your life for two things. I want to be exactly like this or I want to be nothing like this. And either one of them are, are very impactful for you and who you turn out to be. But when you talk about this and you kind of go through it, it's not, for me, it's not so much the ethnicity or anything that was going on there. It was the lack of just, like you said, it was the lack of structure, the lack of purpose, the lack of really getting to your feelings. Because how do you get to your feelings when you don't even know your feelings? Yeah, it was, uh, no, you're absolutely right. Like I was, I was running around thug life is what I was, you know, straight up. I was thug life and I, I was wearing FUBU and I was Eminem. Okay, I was running around crazy. I didn't know who I was, right? But these were the people I was looking up to. These are the people I was running around the streets with. And what's crazy is about this too, is the, the, the where I came from, I tell people every time, they're, they're like, they, they hear me talk and they're like, you have an accent, where are you from? And I tell them where I'm from and they're like, no, you're crazy. And they, and I lived in uh, Allen, Texas of all places, which is like super suburbia, like super, anyway, like money and everything else. And not where I was, though. Where I was was poverty, right? Where I was, we didn't have running lights or water or electricity. Uh, A lot of times food, things like that. We got black mold in the house at one time. So they, they gutted the house and then it never got put back together. So we were living around with like concrete floors and like, no walls and like, this is what I was living in. It was like extreme poverty. I remember having to go steal water literally from the next door neighbor's hose just to get the toilet to flush. Like this is the environment I'm living in. I mean, it was straight poverty in the middle of this rich suburbia. Incredible. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. It is kind of crazy. But yeah, so that's that was my upbringing. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing all that. What's your relationship like with your parents now? Oh, it's um. Oh, so my dad, amazing, love my dad. Gosh, and what's so funny is I I hated him in those moments when I was that's living in that. That's when you know you're being a really good parent is when your kids hate you. <laughs> yeah, the, there you go. <laughs> I am not trying to be my kid, my kids' friends, and they will tell you there are times that we are not friends. <laughs> it's crazy. I have so I, I used to rap a lot. Okay, I had a I had a, a I would write music and all this. I wrote a song, and I and I read it now, 
And I go, wow, my mind, where my mindset was back then is so wrong. I was just a stupid kid. I was so wrong, but I hated my dad. And it's all in that, that, those lyrics. I hated my dad, you know, but I love my dad. My dad saved my life. He saved my life. Has your dad seen the lyrics? No, no, he's never seen that. <laughs> so, so it's interesting. What is, <clears throat> if we were interviewing your dad, and kind of, you know, no holes barred, okay? Like, basically, he came in and told us what a giant pain in the you-know-what that you were, okay? What would he say you are now? Oh, he'd, he'd say he's proud of me, you know. He's um, he's my biggest fan. That's incredible. I love that. That's just—I mean, it just really—do you have children? I do. I've got two boys. Oh, how old are they? Uh, seven and 13. Oh, so fun. <laughs> so, as you well know— it's it's so incredibly hard. These little monsters don't come with a manual. <laughs> and their personalities are so completely different. When you are writing those things and you look back and you reflect, reflect on those lyrics that you're that you're looking at and you think about your mindset and you think about where you were, what feeling does it bring up for you? You know, I'm just grateful. I think that's really what it goes down to. It's just gratitude that I made it out. Right, and I look back at all of the the people that were around me and where they're at today, and it's not the prettiest situation for all of them. Not everybody made it out, and I made it out. And again, work saved my life. My dad saved my life. Having a place, I'm kind of a workaholic. Anybody that knows me knows that I'm kind of a workaholic because it's like if I am not diving into a, a positive place for my energy because I do have a lot of energy, right? Like they're like, yeah, you have ADHD or whatever. I'm like, no, I just, I need to put my energy somewhere positive. I don't need pills. I need work. <laughs> I need something positive to do and I'll be good and I'll create and I'm going to have this nice product at the end of the day. But, but yeah, gratitude. I'm so grateful I got out of all that. What's the most impactful lesson that your dad taught you? Like looking back right now, I know that those things evolve. Like for for me, when I look at the most impactful person in my life, those things that they taught me evolve as I evolve. Now, right now, what's the most impactful lesson that your dad taught you? It's still something I'm trying to get to. And that's being like humble and content, right? I'm still striving to get to be to where my dad is. My dad is like the closest thing to the fa the father, right, that I know. Like he's just this humble, there's just a peace about him. And I see that and I want that. And I see, I'm like, man, I want that peace. You know, I want that calm, you know, and, and how do I get that? I want to get to that. And because uh, I'm always like, let's go, let's go, let's go. I got to get to the next, got to get to the next. I'm trying, I'm like, I've got goals and ambitions and I'm trying to build. And I'm like, but there's, you know, like he has contentment. He was content. He didn't like take his business and 10 exit and go all to the next level and all that. He was content just working, making enough to be able to do provide and support and to be able to take a vacation here and there. I mean, he was not rich very, by any very means. Very, very simple, very calm, very peaceful. Yes. Foundational. Very Correct. Yeah, absolutely. That's, very that's amazing. Yeah. Very simple. And I'm like, wow, there's a peace in that. There's peace in the simplicity of that, that I know everybody, we live in this culture where it's like, go get it, go get it, go get it. And you see it all over the place. And I'm like, is there really, though? Is that really what we want to be? I don't know. I'm like, because part of me knows that if I'm not going to go after it and go get it, that I'm not as productive with my time. And so I'm like, my energy starts to go towards that negative again. It just does. Like, I got to keep it positive. I got to stay busy. So it's really interesting because I... I also grappled with this when I when I left. I told you I ran a global consulting firm. And when I left to kind of go into more human behavior, more human consulting, and not so much tech consulting, everybody expected me to retire. So everybody was like, oh, Steph's done. You know that she's going to retire. And when I took the time to actually sit down and go, what do I really want to do? I too was like, am I just working to like work? Am I working because I'm not dealing with underlying issues? Am I working to distract or to dissociate? Like, why am I working? Why am I going to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing? 
and that was that was a hard task for me. That was that was hard for me. I had to actually take a step back and go, am I creating to not deal with demons? Am I creating to to distract myself from from self-reflection of what I need to do next for a lesson for maybe myself, my family, my children, whoever whoever it was. And so I feel you and I understand whenever you say, I'm getting there and this is what I'm moving towards and this is what I want and this is what I aspire to be. Just sitting back and reflecting on why that drive is to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing is really important. Yeah, and I I really appreciate you saying that. Did you ever like figure it out? <laughs> Did you ever? Because uh, I think you're right. I know my drive and my ambition. It's it's like it's a coping mechanism for a, a deeper issue that's in there. I don't know what else to do. Other, you know, like I gotta. Anyway, but did you ever figure it out? <laughs> so I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a figure out thing. I think it's an evolving thing. And yeah, I did. I did. I did, Trevor. I figured it out. And it wasn't pretty. Like it wasn't like, oh, let me hang on, let me show you the methodology. It didn't go like that at all. I had a very, very similar upbringing to you. Very similar. Um, my father drowned when I was three. My mom had a complete psychotic break and never recovered. I was not living in a gray area. While we didn't have services, I think the only reason why we didn't have services is because we had so much family around us. And I, quite frankly, I'm not sure that my mom knew how to do it. So um, I was emancipated at 15. Imagine renting your very own apartment and talking to the people trying to rent an apartment with no credit, doing school on independent study. So I really feel you. And I didn't do medication, but I did every single therapy under the sun. And you think you've dealt with it. You think you're like, okay, I've dealt with it. I'm good. I don't know that you're good. I think that the problems or the feelings that you have as you grow, evolve as a person, um, as you attain more responsibility in your life, I think you have a different feeling that possibly is triggered by what's happened in the past. So was I creating? Was I always, I always want to inspire and impact. I always want to do it. But was I doing it for the right reasons? Like what were my reasons? What was I avoiding? And what it came back at that time, I've had this firm for almost five years. What it came back to for me was, it was a little of both. It was a little of imposter syndrome. It was a little, who cares about technology? Was I just in the right place at the right time? Um, it was a lot of self-doubt. And it was a lot of wanting to be the very, very, very best version of myself for my kids. That's the only thing. I've ever wanted to do was be able to be a great example, which I didn't have in my life. But was I going about it the right way? And I think I think the answer came back to mostly, I think that there were things that I needed to deal with. And I think that I, I took them head on. I, I never have surrounded myself with yes people. I've surrounded myself with people that'll just have no problem laying me out. They could care less. They're like, oh, you asked? Okay, great. Sit down. By the way, do you have four hours? Let me tell you everything you're doing wrong. <laughs> so I had that. And it wasn't my family. It was it was close friends and really, really strong mentors. But I also took a step back and I actually listened and I applied what they said. I didn't blow it off and go, I'm at this level, I'm this VP or this, you know, president, or I'm I I never did that. I've always had humility and and I've really wanted to be able to gather as many things to make me intrinsically a value to other people, if that makes sense. No, one hundred percent. And I think we're always always learning and evolving and getting closer to that, you know, that best version of ourselves, right? Somebody said it to me one time. They said, hell, I can't remember exactly the way they put it, but I think he said something like, hell is when you uh, when you die and meet the who you could have been, the best version of yourself, like that, like when you go and you meet who you could have, should have been, right? Make an unforgettable impression the moment you walk in the room with Executive Presence Elevated. This program is an exclusive and intensive online program designed specifically for you and led by me, Stephanie Malik. After 25 years as a business transformation and crisis specialist, I've learned just how integral Executive Presence is to gaining you the influence, prestige, and recognition you deserve and desire. Whether you're a mid-level manager looking to advance to the next level or an entrepreneur looking to inspire confidence in your investors, this program will transform your belief in what is possible. Find out more by going to stephaniemalik.com forward slash elevated. So we've done, uh, I think, thank you so much for sharing all of this stuff about, about how you've 
how you kind of grew up, what your experience was. We've gone to all those crazy dark places, but then there's more. So I know you worked for Harley Davidson and that you said that that was the most difficult time for you. I know that when I was looking through everything and reading this story, it was so incredibly compelling. Talk to me about getting fired and what happened through that and what that looked like. Yeah, that was okay. So that was actually a fun time. I, all right, look, I was 20 years old, okay, and I'm working for Harley Davidson, selling Harleys, right? This was a fun time of my life, okay? Like, if anybody knows Harley, it's like a big party, right? The dealerships, they throw these big parties, and they got, you know, food trucks out there. They got bikini bike wash things going on. And I'm 20 years old. I'm loving every bit of this. This is this was like my identity. I was like, whoo, yes. I bought one, and, like, I'm selling them. And I worked there for two years, but I was having fun. The coolest place to work in the world as a 20-year-old, but the environment was super toxic. Oh, my gosh. The most unprofessional place in the world to work. The owner of the company was crazy. This guy was just – he was a big guy, big, and he was a fighter, and he was violent, and he – and he was loud, and he was not afraid, and he would show up every. I mean, he, the owner worked there every day. He was there every day, penciling deals and stuff. And he would uh, chase people around the dealership, and he was just a mess. But um, yeah, so I got fired from that dealership, and they said that I was in the middle of the showroom causing a big scene, which didn't ever happen. That was just a bold-faced lie, and he said that so that I would not get unemployment, right? And this was just a few days before the holidays. So I'm like crushed. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just got fired. And this was my, I made all these friends over there. And this was my identity and, you know, so on and so forth. And I can't get unemployment. And I kind of went back to some of the dark behaviors. I started, you know, drinking too much. I was really depressed. It was kind of a kind of a dark time. And that was only for one month. I was only in in between jobs for a month. But again, work is what saved my life. And now there's no work. There's no purpose, identity. Like that was me at 20 years old in the bar and shield. As crazy as that sounds, but it, that's what it was. And so I was really, really hurt by that. And then I got a job at Hyundai selling cars. And that's when things really changed for me. Go ahead. I saw, you were going to ask No, no, no. So so when you lost this job and it was such a huge part of your identity and you started going back to destructive behaviors, where were you living? Uh, I had an apartment, you know. So I was just, I had my own apartment. And um, yeah. And just, so was, and just like really just kind of hanging out there and drinking and isolating yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep, just by myself, drinking, and, you know, I, I would uh, I would go look for a job, and uh, I started hitting up all the dealerships in, in the day, so I would get up really early and suit up and go hit up all these dealerships and go around. This was back when you could fill out an application in person and stuff like that, right? And so I would go walk in, and it took a month to get there, but eventually I got hired like on the spot. And what's crazy about it, it's all about who you know, okay? Like I got this job because when I walked in at the receptionist desk, here's this girl that I worked with when I was at Sears, which was the job before Harley Davidson. So I'm like, I walk in, I see the girl that, you know, I used to work with at a previous job and she got the sales manager, was like, hey, come here. Got the sales manager and he hired me on the spot, and uh, but it was because of her. It was because of she was saying, "Hey, you need to hire this guy, right?" Yep, because it's exactly <laughs> what you said. It's who you know. It's who you know exactly. So okay, so you 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 started working there, and I see you became a top producer relatively quickly. What immediately? Right. So what what was that drive? Tell me how did you? Because back in back in that time, Trevor, I think it's fair to say like. 
you have to really go out and find the information. You know what I'm saying? It's not like these things are getting thrown at you. There's not a giant training. People, when you get there to, to sell cars, they expect for you to jump in, get a book, start going like immediately. How did you become a top producer so quickly? Well, actually, I will say this that, okay, so let's talk about this for a second. At Harley Davidson, I was mediocre. Okay. I, I really was not a top producer at all. But again, what did I tell you? It was the environment. I was in a toxic environment. The owner was nuts. He didn't like me, right? I get over here. The sales manager, shout out to him, Cal Fami, amazing guy. He was like a coach, right? He And he saw something in me. I don't know what he saw, but he saw it. And he just would, he would mold me. Now, he was like, when I say a coach, yeah, kind of like a football coach, but that crazy football coach, the one that's going to scream and yell at you and blah, like he was, he was a little bit, a lot of people would not let a guy like that, that, that talk to them that way. I don't know what it was. I needed it. I needed the discipline. I, again, I needed discipline and structure. And he was like, hmm, and he would tell me what to do and run the play. And it, I, I relate it to like, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, like, he's going to tell me to run the play. I'm going to go run the play. We would seal the deal. And it was awesome. I mean, I learned to eventually, at first, I would challenge him. I'm like, you want me to go tell the customer what? (laughs) Are you crazy? Yeah. Like, at first, I would challenge him. Can you come with me? Can you come with me? (laughs) Well, no, he wanted me to, like, say things that I just was like, I didn't agree with. I'm like, wait a minute, no, I can't say that to them. Are you crazy? That's going to like, no, I'm not doing that. Are you crazy? He, do it. Go out there, say exactly this. And I'm like, whatever, man. I'm like, okay. At first, I'm like, all right, whatever. All right, I'm going to do it. And I would go out there and I'd do it and it would work. And I'm like, wait a minute. That just worked? Are you, did that just happen? And eventually I start to build this trust and he started to build trust in me that I was actually going to run and do what he said. So it was like, hey, I'm going to run the shot. You're going to run the play. And we just, it worked. And we would just, we'd clean up, man. We sold a lot of cars. And I became the top producer immediately, first year and every year after that. And by the time I was 24, I was making $150,000 a year. And that's a lot of money for a 24-year-old. Bought a house at 24, you know, and and things really kind of took off. And but yeah, that was a. It, again, I, I go back to structure. I had somebody who believed in me, somebody who mentored me, coached me, and as as crazy as some of his uh, antics were, you know, he, he again he still believed in me, coached me, mentored me, and uh, I love that guy to death, even though. Somebody, some people would not say that about that guy. I will say it about that guy. I love that guy. He's a great guy. So, do you still talk to him? Um, I I don't, but I, I need to reach out to him because I I uh, attribute a lot of my success to him. But after I left the auto industry, that relationship kind of ended. So I I I do need to reach back out to him just to really just to tell him thank you. So, Trevor, really quick, because I have, like, at least 10 or 15 more questions for you, but I want to tell you this. I want you to reach out. Like, I really do. At the beginning of COVID, I reached out to the 10 people that were highly instrumental in my life. Like, the people that looked over contracts whenever I started a new company and go, no, Steph, you missed all this. Or, hey, Steph, you know what? You need to do this. Or, hey, let me make this intro for you. The people that didn't have to, the people that are already made it, um, they had very solidified careers and that were moving into like board positions or VCs or whatever. It's not on purpose, but you get busy. You have life, you have kids, you have work, you have bills, you have aging parents, et cetera, et cetera. And I made it a point to reach out to these 10 people And I will tell you that one of them was in a super bad spot. And I said to him how I referenced his wife and I referenced his son. And I said, how's everything going with so-and-so? And he literally burst into tears. And he said, I cannot believe after all of these years that you remembered. And I said, you were so incredibly important to me and to my beginning and to who I turned out to be. I mean, just all the formation of of what I was doing as I evolve. And I did nothing except for say thank you. And I can't tell you 
the the authenticity um, and the care and the connection that came back to me tenfold. And I wasn't even looking for that. I was looking truly just to say, hey, thank you so much for taking the time. I know I was a pain in the butt. I know I didn't listen. I know I asked way too many questions. I knew I, I know I, th- I thought I believed I had a better way. I know I was not easy, but thank you for sticking with me and really pounding it into my head. And it was it was amazing. So I really would love for you to do that. No, I, I I need to for sure, and I will. I will make and reestablish connection because he does deserve to know that. And I know I would want to know the impact that I've made in someone's life. I'm kind exactly. of selfish that way. No, no. I am. I, mean, I want to know. Like, I, know. I tell my audience all the time, I'm like, listen, you need to tell me your stories. Please tell me your stories because, listen, I— like. Doing it on the other side is, is they don't always see how challenging it can be to give yourself to someone and and to do everything you can for someone. And so those stories are what fill you back up. They're, exactly. You know, when you get empty, it's what— They're the reason. They're the they reason. They are the reason. Yeah. So, yep. so and I, I say that—just so you know, I say the exact same thing. So, like, here's the thing. When I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that, I think about what would happen if someone did that to me? And then I'm like, oh, wow, that would be really amazing. That would be really awesome. So I always try and put myself in. If I got that information, if I was fed that, how would I feel? Just, by the way, positively, yes. But also, too, negatively. I have gotten— comments before we have we in, in my last firm I had a one percent turnover we trained we developed no one left okay and and I got feedback that was like it didn't feel great for me it it, it was it was while they stayed there were different there was things I could have done differently to actually get to know them deeper and and while I understand I was running a global firm in 22 locations I still could have taken more time. I still could have taken a time out and actually looked somebody in the eye opposed to a text message. I could have taken some time with niceties and pleasantries when I was texting somebody something to do, but I was so frustrated that I had asked them six other times to do it that I didn't take the time to be kind and empathetic, not knowing what they were going through. So while it's 90% positive, the 10% negative that's not good, I also want that as well. Yeah, feedback is is crucial one way or the other. It's the only way that, one, it fills you up on the positive side and on the negative side, it's how you improve. It's how you get exactly. better. Exactly, exactly. So did you get obsessed with being on top? Would that Did that become an obsession for you? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, 100%. Like the trophy, right? The trophy was everything to me. Like this, this... You know, I got these all over my office. I got plaques in the back. I mean, I got, like, this became the goal. Like, you got to get the trophy, right? It's the Super Bowl. And um, being on top, yeah, because it's like when you finally find something you're good at. I mean, I don't have any formal education and all that kind of stuff, college and all that. I don't have all that, you know, and I came from nothing. So I find something where I'm the best. I'm not just good at but I'm the best at it. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm leaning in. And there were times, like, in the auto industry, there were times where, like, I would be behind. I remember there was one year I was behind by, like, it was the last, uh, uh, it was December, and I was behind by, like, 20 cars, right? I mean, I was getting crushed. And I looked at number two, and I'm looking at him, I'm like, you're number two. I might be getting beat right now, but you're number two. Like, you're not number one. I'm number one. You're number two. And I'm going to do what I got to do to make this happen. And so I literally, I never left the dealership. It was open, you know, for 14, 15 hours in a day. And I was there for 14, 15 hours in a day. And that, that December, I lived in that dealership. And I did not leave my day off. I was there. I was there every single day, bell to bell, every day. And I ended up beating him by like eight cars. All right, so I was like behind by like twenty. I ended up beating him by like eight, and I was like, "I told you, you're number two. <laughs> like, yeah, get back in line. Get back in line. <laughs> yeah, like you're number two. And uh, it was awesome, though. I mean, the what it took to do it. Oh, it was a grind. But man, at the end of the day, that trophy was what I wanted. You know, that's awesome. So let's talk about the show. Let's talk about the beginning. What made you possibly think about starting Who You Know, and what was the catalyst? Yeah, so I got into financial services. I left the auto industry, got into financial services, 
And uh, my first year there was was really rough. I went from being the top in the auto to hitting the bottom and, like, fighting for my life, figuring this whole thing out. And uh, I ended up, by a recommendation, somebody was like, hey, uh, I was telling them what I do, and and I was like, hey, you know, I do roll 401k rollovers and investments and this and that and the other. And he was like, you know what? You need to go to this group. Uh, they're full of job seekers, and I know they, you know, They've got their old 401ks and this and that, and they need to do something with it. And so he's like, you need to go over there. So I said, okay, I'll go check it out. And I went in there for business purposes, really. The beginning was like, I got, you know, I got to go for their business, right? But I walk in this church in this job networking group, and I walk in there, and I see people were hurting. Like people were really, really hurting. They were depressed. They were anxious. They were afraid. They had just, it was not, I didn't know what I was expecting when I walked in the room, but I walked in and I saw that and I felt empathy. And a lot of the things that they were going through were the things I was going through. Their fears of losing everything and having, you know, was what I was going through in financial services. Like it was my first year. I was not doing so well. And and they were having to network, and I was having to network, and they were having to do their elevator pitch, and I was having to do my elevator pitch. And I'm like, I, I, I think I can help these people, right? And so I just so, was so like— wait, was it, So wait, 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 Trevor. Yeah, was yeah. it instant? Was it instant? Did you walk in and fe- see all of this stuff and go, oh, I actually can make an impact? I, I, the light bulb did go off the first day I was there. I didn't know how. I didn't know how. And 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 that was the that was the thing. I, I the light bulb was going off. The wheels were turning. But I didn't know how. And so what I did is I literally would sit down like have coffee meetings one to one and just sit down and just ask a lot of questions. I'm like, "Hey, what are your challenges? What are you going through? What's the what's the deal?" Like and I figured it out. You know, their problem was visibility. They weren't being seen. They're applying online. It was just going in the black hole. It's just in the rejection. A lot of the, the computers now, they're, they're, they have these canned emails that go out and give auto rejections. And so they feel like the whole time they feel worth, they, like their, their worth is going like this because they're getting rejected, 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 rejected. And their bank account's doing the same thing at the same time. And like, it's just... A bad situation, but most of it had to do with visibility, and they didn't know how to brand themselves, market themselves. They didn't know how to network, and it's like, all right, I can help them here. Here's what I can do, and so that's when the show got started. We we did this show. Uh, that was a, that was actually about a year after I started volunteering at this church, and uh, I was invited onto a show because of the volunteer work that I was doing. And I got the bug for it instantly. I was like, got to do this. And so January of 2018, we started the Who You Know Show. And we started inviting recruiters and hiring managers and career coaches and anybody that could help to help these job seekers. And I built my network. I literally, I built my network to help them. I went out and started connecting with recruiters and hiring managers, and and I would I would sit down with them too over coffee. And I'm like, hey, I got this group of job seekers over here. Right, I know you're hiring for X, Y, and Z. Like, like let's put it together, you know. And so I built my network of recruiters and hiring managers so I could help the job seekers and be the person in the middle that just connects the dots, just puts them together. Right. It's like a complete act of service. Uh huh. One hundred percent. So I I find this fascinating, and I could literally talk to you all day about it because as a, as a hiring manager for so long since since you know Silicon Valley, you know having different management positions there. And then, like you said, you get the resumes, the resumes, the resumes. A lot of the, a lot of the coordinators or the, the um, kind of the first calls, they're just looking for keyword searches on the resumes. That's all they're looking for. I always hired differently. I always hired for personality and attitude, thinking that I could actually teach the skill. And ninety nine point nine percent of the time, it worked out. Yes, the also, I love that. The, I. I kind of got a little bit, I mean, I, I stammer through this because I'm like, I don't know if I want to say this, but I got known for tossing the resume. Like I would do a walk and talk or I would do, like, I don't want to sit in my office and have a conversation with you. And I asked totally, I mean, I don't want to say inappropriate questions, but 
you should be able to talk about your resume. I don't need to be walking and holding a resume. You should be able to talk about it with all the people that I know all over the world. I can backdoor reference check you in one second. I want to find out what drives you. I want to find out what your passion is. I want to find out when you, when you feel connected to the people that you're trying to lead and manage, you make them better. And to be a great leader, you have to inspire people to believe in themselves. It's not about you. It's about believing in themselves. So I wanted to know what they wanted to do and what do you want to do in 10 years and what do you want to do in three years and what type of development programs. And I'm telling you, people would just be so stunned. They were like, I didn't prepare for any of that. I'm like, great, let's go. <laughs> like, it was more in how you act when you're not prepared for it. So I 100%. love that you did this. I love Imagine it. you could interview people like a job interview, but interview them like you did this show. Like what you like what you just did with me asking me about my childhood and where I came from and like like all the different jobs I've been through like we've already talked about quite a few right like imagine you could interview someone just like this for a job let me ask you this uh, Stephanie would you hire me yes yes I would but but you know what my but here's my thing live on everywhere okay live everywhere here's my thing probably not for the reasons that you think. So that's, I I would put you in a position that would be so incredibly uncomfortable for you that so many people would learn from, but most of all, you would be exhausted because you need to be exhausted with that brain. Okay. I like that. Let's go. Let's do it. You're like, okay, I'm sending, (laughs) wait, where do I send my application? (laughs) Yeah. I, I just, I think that I hire people differently. I hire people for attitude. I hire people because because they want to make a difference. And here's the other thing too. There's a lot of autonomy where I am. If you come in and and you're applying for whatever position, you may not get that position because I may think that you might better serve others in another position. And it's most likely going to be, I mean, you can call anybody in my company and they'll all talk to you. Our graphic designer person is now our director of operations and does all of our finance and, and QuickBooks. I literally will push you. You will say, I hate that. That'll be 80% of your job because the things that you hate will make you grow into the most magnificent person into understanding what you want. And so, yeah, I do it differently. I'm not saying my way is the best way, but I have a 1% turnover and I will do anything for anyone. And so when you're talking about networking, I just did this, this forum, Trevor, this person was talking about networking and relationships and networking relationships. I was like, no, 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 no. Networking is very different than a relationship. So tell me what you think about that. Do you think networking and relationship are the same thing? That's such a great question. My definition of networking is just figuring out a way to serve the other person without any expectation, but knowing that something eventually will happen out of it. Like if you just give selflessly, it's the law of reciprocity. It's in the Bible, right? You reap what you sow. And if you sow a good seed, you'll reap a good harvest. And, you know, so to go go figure out how you can solve someone else's problems. Uh, I think Zig Ziglar said it. You can have anything in life that you want as long as you can help give everyone else what they want. Something like that, right? And um, if you if you can figure out how to solve problems for people, I promise you, you can have anything you want in life. Because all you got to do is help them selflessly. And then one day, if you need something, just reach out and ask. And everybody's got what you need. Resources are, are abundant right? They're everywhere. But when you when you reach out and you ask somebody, if you've never helped them, served them, given them, done anything for them in their life, never added any kind of value, if you ever go ask them at some point, what are they, why would they? Right. Why that's, would they? That's like the one of the biggest things I say, Get, add value five times before you ask once. Show up, give, 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 and then ask and make sure your ask is not a giant stretch for them. Make sure that you're asking something that they can do and do the so they feel good about giving to you. Make them be uncomfortable to not give you something because you've added so much value to them with whatever it happens to be. And I think that that's really honestly what drew me to you when I was looking at all of the different things that you've done. Talk to me about the Trojan horse strategy. Okay. All right. I love that. So this is kind of where things really took off. So in my business, I was using a product called BombBomb, B-O-M-B, B-O-M-B. And it's a, a video, a personalized video that you can send in uh, emails, you can send in DMs, you can use them for comments, you can uh, send them in text messages. But it's basically like a video voicemail. 
right? Instead of leaving a voicemail, you leave a little a little video, but no edits, no no polishing. It's just raw, just like a voicemail. You would leave, you'd say, "Hey, Stephanie, uh, you know, I saw your your content over on LinkedIn, and I just I thought it was really great." And anyway, so you would leave a comment, and you would do it in a video. So I started using this tool as a networking tool. I was, you know, sending DMs with it. I was sending emails with it. Uh, it really humanized my business. It humanized the connections. It humanized the networking. It humanized everything. So I'm using this tool, and I swear by it. Love it. It just totally changed my business. It turned me into a person instead of black and white text, right? And so I'm like, you know what? If I was a job seeker, I would do the same thing, right? Again, I'm, I'm. Looking at it through a business owner lens, and I'm like, if I was seeking employment, I would use technology. I would use tools. I would use everything at my disposal. And so I, uh, as a concept, purely concept, I started teaching uh, some job seekers. I was like, hey, listen, you should put together, instead of a regular email with black and white text as a thank you, you know, after you have your interview, you send a thank you email, a thank you note. Send them this thank you email with a personalized video in it, right? And actually, hold on, I got this here. I say, uh, write their name on it, okay? Put Literally get a whiteboard, and you put their name on it, and you flash it at the screen, boom. And um, that will get their attention. They'll press play, right? If your name, Stephanie, if your name was written on there, you're going to press play, right? Uh, I'm expecting one every single day from you. Like every right. <laughs> single day, I'm expecting like a new bomb bomb from you. Yes, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so I'm like, okay. So you send this in, and this is where the Trojan horse begins because you you infiltrate the company, you get in, and what happens is, is they're not expecting this. It blows them away. They are used to reading these resumes and all this black and white text and getting all these thank you emails and all this blah 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 that get deleted right because they ain't got time to read all that stuff. They don't have time to read all the resumes. They don't have time to read all the thank you emails and all that stuff. You know, the black and white text is just getting thrown away, okay? It's not human. So break it up. Break through the noise, literally, with their name on it. Break through the noise. Get their attention. And, oh, my gosh, the results were crazy because they wowed them. They blew them away. And what happened was the um, whoever they sent it to, would typically forward that email to the other decision makers in the company, okay? And what would happen is on average, we're finding that these videos get played 15 times. So 15 replays. So it's going from the recruiter to the hiring manager to the CEO to like the different decision makers in the company. So that's why we call it the Trojan horse because you get in and you just take over, right? You take over the castle. It's so incredible for so many reasons, and I'm sure you would mention those reasons, but it's so incredible for so many reasons. For me, I think about the three people that I hired instantly, like instantly, and it was because of what they said in their thank you, and or one of them got a hold of my cell phone and sent up like a personalized, like almost like a personalized WhatsApp, and they saw something from my office. My daughter was at St. Mary's College at the time, and they mentioned something about being in the, it was, I don't know if it was Final Four or the Final, the 12 or whatever it was, but they said, hey, pack 10, da 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 go St. Mary's. And I remember going, if if they're going to treat me like this, this is how they're going to treat every client and every sales or marketing or operations venture that they have. This is the service that they're going to give. I can teach them the skills. I can't teach them how to communicate, stand out, be different, and 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 be present with their, their clients or our clients. So that's just, I love that. Yes. And we teach them that too. It's like, hey, go do a little light research about your interviewer and go look up the things that you can build commonality on and interject those little things into your video as you send it in. So like to give you an example, I'm a big Cowboys fan, Dallas Cowboys, right? Like we're going to the Super Bowl this year. Like it's happening. Like I'm a big Cowboys fan. And so like maybe you put a star on here and you put go Cowboys. Like you just draw, draw that on there and you're like, boom, go Cowboys. I'm going to press play and I'm going to be like, that's my guy. Right. Like right. we're going to the Super Bowl. Let's it's, go. I got to hire this guy. It's a visceral reaction. It's visceral. It's like you have, like you have to do something. You have to take action. You have to take action. And, and that's, that's the thing that I love about you saying 
it permeates, it spreads, and it's goodwill, and it's fun, and it's not serious, and it's raw, and it's not like, you know, it, it's just, it's real. And that's the thing about you, Trevor, that I think is so amazing. I think I'm going to hire you to do some sales training for us. <laughs> be like, I'll, put, I'll, do my, I'll do my bomb bomb and I'll go, sales training. <laughs> yes, let's go. So we're running out of time and I have like literally so many more questions to talk about, but we're running out of time. I wanted to kind of give you a few things that I'm just dying to know about you. Um, and then, you know, hopefully I'll be able to have you back, you know, soon and we can do this again because this was just so informative. And I just think that it provided so much value to the listeners. Well, I got to tell you, this was probably one of the best interviews I've had in a long, long time. So oh, thank you great so job. much. You're doing, that's, yeah, you're that's doing a great awesome. job. Do you parent the same as your dad? I do. I have to try to check myself sometimes because I realize that— um, you know, I'm trying to be the discipline, the structure, and everything that I know I needed, but I also know I I was different than they are, and they didn't have the same upbringing with all the chaos that was going on and stuff like that. So, I needed like that harsh discipline, and sometimes I give that harsh discipline when they don't always need it, and so I'm having to learn like, okay, calm down. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like that dad that's like a jerk or anything, but I, I'm like trying to like, okay, you know what? Just give them some slack, give them some grace, right? It was something my business partner talked about one time. I had a conversation with him and he's like, grace, remember grace. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh yes. yeah, that. Grace. <laughs> the thing that, you know, like God gave to me, like I shouldn't be where I'm at today with all the craziness I was into. God gave me grace, you know, and uh, I'm like, yeah, grace. If you get it, you have to give it. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Who is the most favorite guest that you've had on your show? Oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is such a great question. Okay, so my um, my most memorable interview ever, I don't know if it was my best, my favorite guest, but it was my most memorable guest, which was Grant Cardone, because that interview went completely sideways. It went crazy. Yes. It was the—I tell people it was the best, worst interview I've ever had. It was awesome. Yeah, it was—well, um, because, I, again, I came from the auto industry. I really, really looked up to the guy. I went to one of his trainings like 12 years ago. I met you know, met him at that conference, and like he, he was another reason why I was very successful, and I always followed him, and— you know, I was like, oh, my gosh, I finally get Grant. Like, I wanted to get him on forever. I got him on the show. But it was for, you know, he was coming on to talk about Undercover Billionaire. And I didn't have any opportunity to talk to him prior to tell him about the show or, or anything. It was just like I was working behind the scenes with his assistant and all this and that. And da, da, da. He was doing an interview blitz. He had like 16 interviews back to back, like boom, 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 whole day long. He was just doing interviews for Undercover Billionaire. And uh, he came in. He didn't know my name, didn't know anything about the show. He didn't know we were live. He came in really, really hot. He was really like, hot. if you know anything, he, yeah, yeah, he was dropping <laughs> F-bombs everywhere, you know, and I'm like, I had to cut him off at one point. I'm like, Grant, this is a ministry. Like, basically, I'm telling him, like, you're talking to the church here, bro. Like, and he started back. He was like, oh, my gosh. And he did apologize. And he, anyway, it was a crazy kind of a chaotic interview. It was the most memorable. But then I just recently got to interview Elena Cardone, his wife. And uh, that was awesome because it didn't go sideways. Like, <laughs> Elena's a lot more like reserved. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I feel like I know Grant, he's a super professional. Like I know had he known what he was getting into, he would adapt and be professional. Like he's he's on the news and stuff all the time. He's not going to go on the news and, you know, be dropping F-bombs and all that, right? He knows there are certain places where he can do that and, and other places where he can't. And so he just didn't know. And um, I had to tell him. And it was... Um, That's all I kinds of fun. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. It haunted me for like a month. I had like... That interview was like re being replayed in my in my mind for like a month. So like I said, most memorable, but it was uh, it was pretty crazy. But I will say Danelle Delgado and Glenn Lundy 
gosh, they just, I love both of them so much. Their spirit, you know, is just on fire and full of love and just wants to help build people. And so I really, really, really loved their interview. They were great. What's one thing that no one ever asks you that you're dying to talk about? I think you really kind of did it today where you started asking me about, you know, my where I come from and my background and stuff like that. Everybody asks about the Who You Know show, right? That's what they see and that's what they want to know about. But you dug deeper. So that's why I said this was a great interview, you know, because a lot of that stuff's important too. Yeah. I mean, that's, and it's so funny because, because Josh and Luke have just done such an amazing job. You know, you know, you know how long it takes to research people and to really know and to kind of go in and they have just so been incredible adapting to me. I'm like, I want to know the real stuff. Like I want them to feel uncomfortable. Like I want their real, I want it real. I want them to like understand who they're impacting and affecting every single day. I don't want it to be on something that from another podcast. I don't want it to be on something from another book. I mean, I'll talk about the books and I'll talk about the company. I'll talk about the show, but I want to know you and who you are and how you want to inspire others. That's what I want to know. So you did such an incredible job with that. Last question. What is the most valuable or the hardest skill, either one or both, that someone should learn? That most valuable skill is, uh, I, I feel like, is networking. That's why I ask this question on the show all the time. I, I always ask people, hey, and I know it's kind of a loaded question because of the name of the show is who you know, but I will always ask them, what do you feel like is more important to your success? Right? And I'm always interviewing successful people. I'm like, what do you feel like is more important to your success? What do you attribute to your success? Is it what you know, your skills, your knowledge, you know, your degrees, your, you know, the, what's in inside or, or or is it the the network, the people, the connections, the the influence like what is more important? And it's always who you know. It's it, you know, and I think about my story and, and who's connected those dots and been able to elevate me into it's always who you know. So I I think that's something that people don't really know how to do. And they, you know, you hear it all the time. Oh, you need to network, you need to network. What does that mean? What does network mean? Like how do I how do I network? And I think it's a it is a skill. I think that's amazing. We're actually creating a course right now on effective networking. And so maybe I'll have you come back and like do yeah. like that would be so fun to do with you. I want to be in your course. Like that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. We actually just launched two of them. Actually, I think they're launching on Monday. Um, one of them is on elevated presence. So being present and and how do you really kind of communicate, empathize and and be the thought leader in the room. And the other one's on scaling your business what we were finding is just exactly what you said. People say the word networking, but maybe not everybody is using the same definition of the dictionary or the, having the same understanding of what it is. So I would love that. I'll have the team reach out to you soon. That is so cool. How many courses have you built? Because you're like, we're building this one. We got these other ones. We got like, have you, what, you built courses? Yeah. So that's a great question. So I am not, I, this is a really, this is a true thing. There's research on this. I'm not a giant fan of public speaking into a black screen. Um, I feel like if you help everyone, you help no one. And so my team got together with me and they said, hey, listen, these are a lot of the questions that we're getting. We're getting, I, I'm a business strategist. I'm a consultant. A lot of times I'm working with the C-suite or, you know, the, the very most senior executives or the board or et cetera, et cetera. How do we kind of affect the middle? How do we, how do we get content to the middle to get them to be amazing leaders so when they get here, we're not having to deal with so many empathy, connection, self-awareness, self-actualization, presence kind of issues? How do we teach people how to negotiate and how to conflict resolve? How do we do these type of things? What is a good listener? Like, tell me what a good listener is, those type of things. And so my team kind of sat me down, again, not surrounding myself with yes people. I got faked into a meeting and it was, here's the topics of your course. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Who's doing that? And they're like, you tomorrow. <laughs> And I was like, uh, no. So we've, we have three. We're launching two next week. Um, we're doing a series of 10. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And again, I said, I just, I just have the most amazing team. They're out there constantly scouring on what do people need? What do they want to hear? And I'm allergic to regurgitated crap content. I don't want to hear the same things over and over and over again, just spun into a different form. I want real actionable stuff. And really kind of that's why some people don't choose me to be their coach because I'm not I'm not overly nice. I'm like, what's your outcome? What's your measurement of success? Let's go. 
And this really kind of is a first step to that from a mid-level manager perspective. So I just find you so valuable in all the things that you said. I would love to invite you to come and join us. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. I am honored. And that is so cool. And I want to pick your brain also on like how you're doing the course, because that's something that uh, I've got got in the works myself. So um, you, you've been through it and success leaves clues. And I want to kind of see what uh, what you've gone through and what you're doing. And that's a, that's so cool. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. Absolutely. And thank you so, so much for being on the show. I really hope that our listeners got so much value from you. If our um, listeners want to find more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. So I love LinkedIn. Okay, that's my that's my jam. Okay, come connect with me on LinkedIn, Trevor Houston, or you can go to my website, which is whoyouknow.show. And that's who ya know, not who you know. Okay, we're in Texas, so it's whoyouknow.show. And uh, come connect with me. I'd love that. Thank you so much, Trevor. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Spin It. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified when a new episode is released. The best way to support the show is to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And if you want to hear more from me, hop over to Instagram and follow me at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y, S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E Malik, M-A-L-I-K, or visit my website at stephaniemalik.com.